Today we are going to be talking about a subject that has been on my heart for actually years at this point, and, um, but the Spirit sort of stirred this up in me again over the past few weeks as I've been thinking about what we've been dealing with. And as Pastor Richard has preached on spiritual warfare, because something that I have become very convinced of is that one of the greatest tools that we have to fight the enemy is personal holiness. And one of the greatest tools we have to stand up against the, the powers that are encroaching in this world is personal holiness. Remember that the scriptures tell us our battle is not against flesh and blood. And yet so many people today, even Christian people, we're acting as if our battle is against flesh and blood because our anger is not turned towards the enemy and his works, but towards people oftentimes. We think of groups of people, and I've even heard people say uh, you know, certain words about certain groups of people that, that, that really shows me that, that many of us have been sucked into the world's game. And what I'm calling us to today is that we would not play that game. That we're going to play by the Lord's rules and not by the world's rules. And so the title of today's message, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to use this word because it's kind of a word that we never use, but but the word differentiated, the, the title of today's message is a differentiated Christian life. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, I just can't think of a better word to use. So we'll just define the word and then we'll all be sort of in the know on this word, okay? Um, this is going to work out great. This concept of differentiation is an old concept. Uh, it's, it's not something new, although um, a popular psychologist Dr. Edwin Friedman brought this concept into the popular conscience back in the 1980s. And, uh, and, and so I will say, you know, that as far as this term, he probably popularized this terminology. But, uh, but to differentiate means to recognize or ascertain what makes someone or something different. In other words, you're clear on the lines of distinction on certain things. And in this particular case, we're talking about the Christian life. And so uh, for us, differentiation means that I am clear about where I stop and where the world begins. I'm clear about who Jesus is and who I am in him. And as I was praying about this really over the past several weeks, I've continued to have in my mind several of the Old Testament saints, particularly Jeremiah, who I preached on a few weeks ago, and, uh, and, and Daniel, and also, you know, Ezekiel and Hosea and some others. But, but, uh, but, but specifically, Daniel has really been on my heart um, and, because I've been thinking about Daniel's life. Because in the Bible, when we see Daniel, he worked from within a corrupt government system. It was an unjust government system. He worked within that system to bring about change. Right? Daniel didn't try to bring the system down. He actually worked from within. He was a, a, a government official under multiple different kings and multiple different governments. Daniel somehow, this is very rare by the way, Daniel was like prime minister of one empire that was conquered by another empire and those guys are like, you're so good, you're going to be our guy too. Okay, um, That doesn't happen very often when one nation conquers another. Typically the uh, government does not, like none of those officials remain. But in this case, Daniel, he survived that. But it was his unwavering character that won him influence even more than the words that he spoke. Because when a problem would arise or a king needed to have a dream interpreted, 
they knew that that was a man of God. He might have been the only man of God around. I mean, there were a few others. We know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There were a few others around. But Daniel was rare. And they saw his character. They saw this as a man who was unwavering. His knee would not bow to anyone but the Lord. His words mattered because every day he lived as if the Lord is God. And that sort of consistency over time, it gained him influence even in that dark and very pagan society. But I I often see today, I see people, and this is not universally true, so please don't take this as an insult or anything, but I see a lot of people in in, in today's world, and particularly in the church, who who want that same kind of influence, but, and they want that kind of respect, but they want it without the unwavering character. And I'm going to tell you, that's not going to do. And we're not going to get that kind of respect without the kind of character and consistency that Daniel had. I think that's one of the big issues we face today, and one of the reasons why like, people are able to, to look at the church and say, well, you guys have done this, and a lot of times they're right. Some of the things that we haven't stood for. Some of the things we haven't been strong. And and even though our faith and and our our devotion to Jesus tells us we're to live a certain way, it's often true that many of us aren't living lives that are consistent with the gospel. We're allowing little sins to come in. And maybe we dismiss them. We say, well, it's okay. I can do that because God will forgive me on Sunday. I can't tell you how many times I have heard someone say, well, it's okay if I live with this, this little sin over here. It's okay if I have a foul mouth at work or if I sleep around a little bit. Uh, it's okay if I, if, I, uh, if I have a closet life over here. Because when I come to church on Sunday, I can come to the, uh, the, the altar and confess my sin. And, and the Bible says Jesus will forgive me. But, but I want to be clear. We, we need to know that that's not a Christian life. The Apostle James, when he wrote, was really clear that faith without works is dead. He says, he, says, you, he says, you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works, is what James said. So, so when we are living a life, when, we, when I say I'm a Christian, but then I'm living a life that's constantly contrary to the gospel, maybe, maybe I have a problem. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that if you struggle with sin, you're not saved. Please, uh, if... If that's the reality, I'm not saved, okay? Um, And I'm here preaching. We all struggle with sin. The point is that we struggle against sin. A true Christian struggles against sin. A true Christian doesn't just walk into the stream and follow the current of sin, but tries to walk against it. We may still fall into it. We, we may slip and fall on a stone while we're walking in the river and get carried down the stream. But, but, but at some point, the Holy Spirit gets us back up and sets us back on the path, and we begin to walk against the stream of sin and death with the Spirit again. And that is really important for us to recognize this morning because that's the kind of person Daniel was, and that's the person I believe that God is calling us to be, whose lives are rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this passage out of 1 Peter chapter 3. And this is going to be starting in verse 13. I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard translation this morning. Here's what it says. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer 
For the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. This is God's word. Can we just give God just a, a praise for his word this morning? Let's thank you, Jesus, for speaking your word to us through your Holy Spirit. Let's pray, Lord, because we, we need your help this morning, Lord. We need your help. We can't approach this word and hope to receive what you want to impart to us unless you help us, Lord. We know that the word of God says that if we're in Christ, we're, new, we're a new creation. But Father, sometimes we struggle to live like it. And we really need your grace this morning to help us to overcome. And Father, also we know that you are the one, Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates this word to us. So Holy Spirit, we, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We ask that you would show us your way. Show us Show us Jesus, Lord. Show us Jesus and help us to turn from anything that holds us back from pursuing Christ this morning. Whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would help us to overcome pride and self-reliance. God, help us to put all those things down and to humbly come to the cross and kneel our hearts down before you. We need your help this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I brought up Daniel as an example because I see Daniel as uh, a just a wonderful example of this concept of what it means to be differentiated. Daniel, even though he was in the the Babylonian government and the Assyrian government, Daniel knew who he was. Daniel knew that he wasn't a Babylonian or an Assyrian. He was a Hebrew and a Jew, and he worshipped the Lord our God. Daniel knew. And there was nothing that they were going to do to him that was going to stop him from worshiping the Lord, because the Lord was his source. He knew that. He knew who he was. He also knew who he wasn't. He knew the difference between himself and the world around him. And other people recognized the difference in him as well. That's why they got so jealous and upset. That's why they tried to feed him to the lions. And that's why they were constantly trying to discredit him. And the same is true for his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were trying to constantly discredit them, because these People had their hearts rooted in the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by the way, our God through Jesus Christ as well. And the world is not particularly a fan, by the way, of the Lord. They haven't been for a very long time. Ever since Adam and Eve reached up uh, into the tree and grabbed the fruit and went their own direction... And they denied the Lord and they said, we will not gain our satisfaction from the Lord. We'll gain it from ourselves and from doing our own thing. And we've been in that trap. And so anything that that sort of comes up against that and tries to arrest it, we will resist naturally as human beings. We, We resist arrest by the Holy Spirit, okay? Even though the Holy Spirit's not trying to take us to jail, he's trying to liberate us. But we resist that liberation because we think that we are safe and secure in our sin. We actually think our liberation is in sin and death when the reality is our liberation is in letting go of all those things to let God take control. That's freedom. 
Obviously, life wasn't easy for Daniel. It's not going to be easy for us. Here's Peter talking about, hey, if you should suffer, why do you think he had to write that? Because there was a lot of suffering happening in the church. And Peter himself was experiencing intense persecution. Peter himself, they attempted to kill him on multiple occasions. And eventually he was martyred for the faith. And most of Peter's friends died horrible deaths because of the name of Jesus. And so Peter knew, if we're going to be consistent, if we're going to live lives consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the likelihood is we are going to suffer. But Peter says we, we better be suffering for the right things. Let's not suffer because we've decided to live like the world. Let's suffer for doing good. And then, and then, God will vindicate us. Daniel knew that being with God meant that he could not lose and it wasn't because of his own greatness. It was because God can never lose. And if he was in God, he was going to win. And I, want to, I also want to make a note, this is kind of a side note, but Daniel always gave God the glory, right? Daniel never took it for himself. Whenever, whenever he stood before the king and interpreted a dream and the king would try to rope him and say, oh, Daniel's so great, Daniel would say, hey, listen, I got this from God. This wasn't for me. Constantly turning away from himself. That's repentance, by the way. Away from self towards God. Away from self towards God. That's practicing repentance. That's also what the scriptures call working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The constant practice of repentance. Away from self towards God. And that is the lifestyle that Peter is describing to us here in this passage. I believe there, there are three keys that we're going to look at today to a differentiated Christian life. What does it mean to be differentiated? To know who I am, to know who God is and who I am in him, and to know the difference, the clear difference between myself and the world around me. Who am I and who am I not? The world is always asking this question, who am I? I've got to find myself. I don't have to find myself. I've been found by Jesus. I'm confident in who I am. I know I'm a child of God. And here we see in verse 15, the first part, Peter tells us, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. The first key to a differentiated Christian life is that we must be confidently assured of who we are in Christ. We must be confidently assured of who we are in Christ. Because here Peter tells us, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Or I love the way the New American Standard says it, which is why I read it in the New American Standard this morning. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify. What does it mean to sanctify? It means to set apart. The Holy Spirit calls us to not only claim Christ with our mouths, but also with our very lives. Because if he's Lord in your heart, if he's set apart as Lord in your heart, then we set Christ above everything else. And honestly, that's what it means to be a Christian. That word has taken on a lot of connotations over the years, and so is the word evangelical, which is actually in Greek just means gospel people but it's become some politically charged word. Like people view it as like a political super PAC. I'm like, we're not about this world. We're about the kingdom of God. 
Where did we lose our way that we got such a reputation that we're trying to build a kingdom in this world? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in politics, but our involvement in politics ought to be about trying to bring about the kingdom, not about trying to somehow establish our kingdom here or build a certain country here. The point is the kingdom of God would be revealed through these governments, just like Daniel in Assyria, his concern wasn't, I mean, he was, he was seeking the welfare of Assyria and of Babylon. And, and remember, we, we said that Jeremiah prophesied that, that Israel was to seek the welfare of the city to which he sent them, Babylon. And they didn't necessarily like that too much. They put Daniel in the stocks, and, or not Daniel, but Jeremiah in the stocks, and they threw him in a pit, and they tried to kill him, and the Lord preserved him. But Jeremiah gave them the same thing. You go where I'm sending you, and you seek the welfare of that place. But God didn't say to, to, to Jeremiah and to the people of Israel that they were to take on the identity of that place. No, no. He said, you go there, and you be the people that I've called you to be while you're there, and, and my name will go forth from you. And the same is true of us. Look, I, I, I'm an American. I live in America, but before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of a kingdom that is greater. We're called. We're called to live in such a way that the one thing we must never compromise is Jesus. We must never compromise on Christ and his message. Now, if we're going to actively pursue this, we... We've got to be confident, again, like I said, about who Christ is. We have to start with knowing who God is. We start there. And when we're confident about the character and nature of who God is, and then we know that we've been called to a life adopted as a family. That's part of our identity as a church, right? We say we're a family of missionary servants. We're a family because the Father has adopted us. We have a right vertical relationship with our Father. Not because we're special or we've done anything great, but because of what Christ has done for us on our behalf on the cross. It's not, we haven't earned this by our own merits. We're adopted. The Father chose you and me to be His children. We're adopted. An adopted child is always chosen. You realize that? Chosen by the Father. Now, if we know the kind of God he is, and we know that He is not a God who ever compromises on His principles, and we know that He's adopted us, we know that we're securely a part of His family if we're truly in Him. Now I realize the Apostle John writes to us and tells us that there are some who are among us who aren't a part of us, and, if, and, and they, may, they may slip away. But here's the thing. We know that if we're in Christ, we're in Christ. If you're His child and He's chosen you and adopted you, just as the Scriptures say, you are secure in Him. So then the scriptures say, now live consistently out of that adopt, adoption from the Father. So we remember who we are because of who he is. And, and, and we know that because we're adopted as sons and daughters, and because we've been given the Holy Spirit, we are, now I think this is really important, Let's, we need to internalize this, we are pure and righteous in Christ. Now, Pastor Richard talked some about this. Righteousness is not from ourselves. Righteousness comes from Jesus. It's his righteousness that's been imparted to us. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us and say, well, uh, you know, I see all your, all your sins and all your junk. No, what does he see? He sees the holiness of his perfect son, Jesus, when he looks at you and me. And we need to know that. 
You're not going to live this kind of life confidently, this gospel-saturated, gospel-centered life confidently if you don't know that you're adopted as a child of the Father and that not only are you adopted, but he's given you every tool you need to work out your salvation. I like to put it this way. He gave us our salvation, but it's like it's in a box and it says some assembly required, you know? Like, it's like he gave us our salvation, everything that we need. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all the tools. We have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have communion with the Father and communion with the saints. Those are the tools that we need. We, we have them. But now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we must assemble what he's given us. Right? This is not a passive work. It's an active work. That's why scripture says, again, I've said it five times already, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's something that has to be worked out. We've got to learn how to live as as citizens of the kingdom now that we've been given that citizenship. But discipleship is what the Bible calls it. Discipleship is the process of learning to become like Jesus. And we have to commit ourselves to that. And we've also got to realize that, that since we're kingdom people, and, and, and that's a better citizenship than the one that's in this world, we've got to focus our hearts on that more than we focus it on anything else in this world. The only kingdom which is going to exist in, in the end of days is God's kingdom. Right? It's the only kingdom that will exist at the end. So, if I want to build something that's going to last, I guess it follows that I better build in God's kingdom and not in a worldly kingdom, right? So, even though, like Daniel, our example here, even though he was a ruling official under multiple governments and kings, he, didn't, he never let his ultimate, ultimate allegiance go to any of those. It was always to the Lord. His ultimate allegiance. Why did Daniel refuse to take the king's food? Because Daniel understood that he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was a follower of God. And because he was a follower of God, he was called to be distinct from the world. And so Daniel chose not to eat the king's rich food because he was distinguishing himself. He was living a distinguished life, a differentiated life, if you will. And the food that the Jews were told not to eat, symbolized sin. Now, we know that we're under grace now. We're not under the law. And so, actually, um, we're free to eat whatever. You can go eat lobster, like Paul's shirt. Like, by the way, Paul, your outfit's on point. You got a Boston hat, and you're wearing a lobster shirt. I'm just saying. You got it, man. Um, <clears throat> that's some extreme coordination. I'm digging it. Uh, but but as a, you, you can eat shellfish and you can eat pork. Can we say God bless bacon? You know, like, like you can eat those things because we, because see what happened in us when the Holy Spirit fell, like Jesus proclaimed the gospel, then the Spirit fell. And, and the, when the church was established, all of a sudden we didn't need food anymore because to, to symbolize being distinct from the world because the Holy Spirit made us distinct from the world. We're made Holy. We don't need all the sacrificial laws of the temple anymore because Christ died once and for all. No more temple sacrifices. Christ is the final sacrifice. And we are holy because he is holy. 
And so how do we live like Daniel? It's not so much about what you eat, although, you know, we probably, some of us Americans could probably, like, get on a diet sometimes. I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm actually currently on a diet. If anybody else gained a COVID-19, you know, you don't have to, anyway. Um, I'm not talking about getting COVID-19. I mean, gaining 19 pounds during this COVID thing. Um, uh, It's happened to a lot of people, and, uh, you know, but I'm sorry, but pizza's cheap. That's all I can say. You know, it's... um, but, but the reality is, man, we're living in this world, and, and the way we distinguish ourselves is not so much by what we eat, but by what we do, living a life that's consistent with the gospel of Jesus. So when we do that, we're actually doing the same thing Daniel did when he refused to eat the king's food. We're saying to the world, I'm just refusing to play by your set of rules, because I'm playing by my father's set of rules. All right, so second thing that we've got to do is we, we, then we've got to live consistently. We've got to know who God is. We've got to know who Jesus is. We, then we've got to know, uh, you know, as a part of that, we, we come to know who we are in relationship to him. But then we've got to live consistently out of our true identity. Okay, again, we're going to go back to the scriptures. This is verses 13 and 14 here in, in 1 Peter, and then verse 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And we're going to skip down to 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if, if, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Listen, our actions ultimately represent what is truly in our hearts. That's throughout the scriptures. The way that we live shows what we truly believe. And, and, and because... The way that we live, our actions reveal who we belong to. Who's owning me right now? And look, the word is super clear. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve this world, right? Jesus said you serve God or mammon, uh, which mammon just is material resource and just the, the world. It's the way of Adam, right? Adam served a piece of fruit over God. And, and, and all we do every time we dip back into that, we just reach up and we with our father Adam, we just grab some more of that fruit. We take a big bite, and we're essentially looking at God and saying, hey, you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just this, this challenging the authority of the father. But that's not how we were called to live as believers. Jesus didn't die so that we could just go on living like hell and then come back on Sundays and just be, oh, hey, you know, Lord, I'm sorry about all that stuff back there. Uh, good thing you died on the cross for me. I mean, I, you know, when we live that way, we're literally spitting on the face of Jesus. We're saying, your cross is worthless to me. I'm just going to go live like I want to and then come back and, and just abuse God's grace? You know, if, if I gave my children a beautiful gift and they just stomped on it all week and then brought it back to me and said, hey, Dad, uh, sorry about this. You know, I, I would be kind of upset about that. Actually, that's basically what it is like to have kids. But, um, you know, but... but <laughs> But the father, the, see, the father has some expectations. And by the way, he doesn't give us those expectations in a way that's mean. He's gracious, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Word of God says in Galatians that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what that means? It means the Father has given you all that you need. He's not expecting you to somehow do this on your own. 
That's not how the Christian life works. I know a lot of people maybe have never been discipled to know that. You don't have to be righteous in your own strength. In fact, righteousness is something that's been declared over you by Jesus. And then you've been given the Holy Spirit to live a life that's consistent with the righteousness of Christ. It's His grace, and every step is God's grace. Every step we take in Christ is a trust fall into the arms of the Father. I was telling Jacob earlier, we were talking, you know, my wife and I have been married almost 15 years now, which is pretty cool. Um, You know, we we used to joke after we were married for two or three years that we outlasted most Hollywood marriages. But now, like, we far outlasted most Hollywood marriages. And and, um, and, and it's the the grace of God. And I told Jacob, it's it's like every every time we ever wanted to do something, it's we've never had enough money. You know, when when we were going to get married, I I, I realized... um, I didn't make enough money, and I didn't have enough money. But God gave us a vision to be together and that we were to be married. And I knew God was going to glorify his son Jesus through our marriage. And so we were obedient and faithful, and we were married. And we didn't have enough money, but every step, it's like we were stepping over a cliff, and all of a sudden there was like a brick. It was like Indiana Jones, you know, when he runs out on that. There, there's, you can't see the bridge, but it's there. You had to have, have faith, right, to jump out on that bridge. But, but it's, it's sort of like that. It's, it's, and when we had our first kid, you know, we didn't have enough money. <laughs> Can I get an amen, parents? Um, and, like, God bless those of you who have teenagers. Man, my, like, my 9-year-old and my 7-year-old and my 5-year-old, they eat a lot. Thankfully, the baby is not, you know, eating much uh, other than just, you know, natural food that comes from mother. But, you know, I mean, like, there's, um, they get expensive really fast. You never have enough. But we believe God called us to have children, so we had children, and every time we've needed something, God has provided. I mean, just, it's supernatural. We stepped out to plant a church. We left a church where we, by the way, we were really happy there. We bought a house in that town. It was a cute little town. There wasn't crime, and there's probably like no COVID there right now, and here we are living in the city. But it was, but the Lord called us to leave there and to move back home and to plant a church here. Why? Because people need to know Jesus, and, and this is a big city, and we believe that if God did a work here, it could be a regional thing. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but we didn't have enough money. Can you imagine? I mean, this is, we stepped out of, like, I had a retirement plan there, and I had insurance, and it was, it was, it was a pretty cushy church job, I'm just going to say. And we stepped out of that to come here and to plant a church because we believe God called us to, and every time, even since then, seven years into this work, and then we had the merger, and all these things we've been through, every time we've stepped out, God's provided. What God is teaching me in the midst of that is that if we are obedient and we follow him, he is going to make a way for us. And see, that's exactly what we're being called to here, because we know who we are in Christ, Right? We know who he is. We know who we are in him. And, and now we want to live consistently with that gospel. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't mean that it's easy. doesn't mean that I haven't had months since we planted a church that I've been like, Lord, I'm going to need the electric bill. But guess what? The electric bill has always come. But we always came to him. We've always said, Lord, we need you to make this happen. If, you, if, if this is your work, you better bring it together because we don't have it in us. 
and it's true in my life too because I many days I've woken up and I have not felt like serving the Lord and 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 I've had to come to the Lord and say Lord I've you got to give me the desire to want you because I feel like one of Adam's kids today and do you know that the Holy Spirit has been faithful to me every time every time I've struggled I've fought it and I know that there are many of you who have the same story today we've struggled and we've fought it and the Spirit comes in and He gives us the power. And somehow, even though we're a bunch of ragtag, ragamuffin, messed up, I, like, we, we're broken people. And somehow, somehow we keep getting, more like, to, to, getting to be more like Jesus. And, and, and God comes through. It's, it's His power. It's His grace. I want to read you this quote. This is from a book I've been reading. Um, because, again, this is all about turning away from self and towards Christ, right? That's, that's, that's what holiness, like that's where holiness comes from, repentance. In this book, it's called um, Our Good Crisis. It's by a, a guy named Jonathan Dotson. He says, expressive individualism works against the grain of the gospel. And he's talking about our culture. Our culture is a very individualistic culture, right? We're all about self um, we're, you know, selfies. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, they call my generation the selfie generation. There's a reason. There are many people my age who have died taking a selfie off the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem, okay? It's a problem. And, um, but, but, you know, there are so many people out there that, that their entire life revolves around getting that perfect Instagram shot, you know? Um, and, 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 and that's kind of what they live for, getting accolades on social media, I'll be honest with you, I, I've struggled with it too. I, I just made a choice that I'm not going to make that my life, but doesn't mean I don't still struggle and wrestle with the, just the winds of the culture. Expressive individualism works against the grain of the gospel. The gospel says, take up your cross and follow me. But individualism, expressive individualism says, take up your cause and follow self. Now, if that doesn't describe the world we live in, I don't know what does. But how many of us really... We, we, we are tempted to fall into that pattern of thinking, hey, this is what I want to do. You know, when if the church doesn't come my way, I'm going to go find another church. Or if, if my work doesn't fit me here, I'm just going to go find another place to work. Instead of saying, instead of humbly submitting ourselves where God has us and saying, how can I make an impact here? Like, how can I show the power of Jesus in this place? You know? President Kennedy got it right when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You see, uh, that didn't come from President Kennedy. That came because he was raised in a, a Roman Catholic home, and they were taught the Scriptures, and, and then the Scriptures were taught that it's not about us, it's about dying to self and leaning into Jesus. I'm not putting President Kennedy up as a perfect moral example, but what he said there was right. And it's true in the church, too. It's not about me. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to speak the power of Jesus where we are. Ready and willing for the right reasons. Because again, suffering is guaranteed. Here, Peter says, if you do the right thing, here's what's probably going to happen. And remember, Jesus, uh, Paul, Paul writes and says, no one who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be able to avoid persecution. It's a part of it because the world doesn't like Christ in you. 
If, if it was just you, the world would probably be kind of okay with you, you know? If, if it was just you and your sin, it's Christ in you and the fact that we are up against the trends of this world that get people all frustrated. And God wants us to be radiant with his glory. God wants us to be radiant with his glory. Again, here, here's the thing. The point is not for us to, we're not to be caught up in political grandstanding or worldliness, but for standing firm against the flow of this culture's value and value system by clinging to the virtues of Jesus. There's a big difference between values and virtues. Values will always change with the winds of culture, but virtue is rooted in the truth. And what God has spoken. And virtue never changes. God wants us to be radiant, which is to put our lives on display for this world to see the power of Jesus working in and through us. I want to be honest about my brokenness. I am broken. That's why in our identity statement we say we're broken people being restored, because we are. All of us. If, if any of us thinks we've arrived, we need to read the Bible some more, because even Paul wrote, hey, I haven't arrived. I struggle. I'm still growing. And this was as he was writing scripture. I'm not proud of my sin, but I am proud of how God is delivering me from my sin. That's pretty cool. And then here's the third thing that we must be ready to tell others why we're different. Again, here's what the word says. But in your, Christ, or in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Listen, it, it's not enough just to be good. That's important. We should be good because of who we are in Christ, Right? But people also need to know why we're different. Why, why do we live different from the rest of the world? And Daniel was clear each time he was challenged for his goodness. He, he was clear that he served the living God and he wasn't going to bow down to the king because of who God is. And in the same way, we are to be clear. When people challenge us and they say, you know, why won't you go party with me at this place? You know, why, why won't you go, you know, why, why won't you go and, and you know, sleep around with your girlfriend, or, you know, why do you not do these things, or wh wh why won't you agree with, like, some liberal sexual ethic? Why, why can't you just agree with this? What, you know, love is love. We'll just let anybody do whatever they want to as long as they don't hurt anybody. Why can't you just agree with that? And, and I stand back and I say, listen, it's because the character and nature of God is against those things. And it's not because God's a cosmic killjoy. It's because God knows what's best for us. And he's trying to keep us from running off the cliff like a bunch of lemmings, which is what we're doing right now. When we're running into our father Adam's sin patterns, we're killing ourselves. And God's trying to save us from that. And every time we turn away from self and towards Jesus, we're taking a step away from what's destroying us. And yet we think that those things are going to bring us life, but they never can. We're called by God to stand our ground in Christ. Not as legalists, not as angry people, but, but as people filled with the grace of God. We, we must speak clearly. And I think that's, you know, it's pretty, I mean, I, I don't need to explain that too much. We've got to speak clearly the gospel of Christ, that 
Why are we the way we are? Because Christ died on the cross in my place and put his righteousness on me, and I'm being made new in him. That's why. It's not because I'm great or some great moral example. I've got plenty. I've got, there's shrapnel behind me that I've left behind. But Jesus is good in me. And the Holy Spirit is present in me and giving me the ability to overcome and say no to this world. We can, we can tell that to people. Um, no Christian should be more of an expert in movies or politics or history or whatever than we are the gospel. That's a challenge, right? We ought to know the word of God and the, and, the, and, the, and the gospel of Jesus better than we know anything else. So I would encourage us, let's be students of the word. Be students of the gospel. Let's, let's commit ourselves to prayer. Because in those places we find power because the spirit empowers us in those things. But then the second thing is we've got to be kind and gentle. We live in a world that seems like it's constantly triggered about something. But it's critical that we refuse to play by their rules. If, if we want to have influence, we've got to choose that we're not going to play by their rules. We choose not to be ruled by anger or outrage like the rest of the world. Because we don't need to be. Why? Because we have everything in Christ and we don't need to be right or validated before people. I don't need people to, 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 to agree with me because I know what truth is. Anger often flows out of a lack of confidence. People get angry because they've been challenged, and deep down inside they're insecure about whether or not they're truly right. Are they really on the right side of this? That's why people get angry. It's a, short, a sort of, uh, it's like cognitive dissonance, if you want to go back to high school psychology with me. You know, it's, it's, it's this, this idea that, that um, we're uneasy about it. We're not sure who we say we are, and, and, and who we, who we want to become don't always match up, and, and that causes anger. But when we are sure about the gospel, when we're absolutely certain about the gospel, we have no need to get upset when we're challenged because we know that the gospel itself is truth. And that which is true is going to persevere beyond this world. We know we're on the right side of history when we're in Christ. If you know what I mean? Uh, I hear that said all the time. Like, what does it matter if you're on the right side of history if the whole thing is going to go up in flames, you know? But so be with Jesus because he will preserve you. So sometimes doing the right thing in Christ will get you thrown to the lions. It's reality. Sometimes it will. Maybe not literally in today's world, but hopefully not, right? I don't know anyone who has a lion's den. Uh, I don't think Trump has one of those in Washington. But, uh, you know, um, but, but, but a truly differentiated believer is less afraid of the lions than he is confident in the lion of Judah. And that's the kind of person I want to be. Is that the kind of person you want to be? Less afraid of the lions than I am confident in the lion of Judah. We're not always going to be liked, but our absolute confidence in Jesus gives us powerful peace. And by the way, that powerful peace draws people to Jesus when we tell them why we have that peace. The world is anxious, and people desperately need to see a healthy church. People are surprised when they see someone who's truly at rest in this world. They really are, because it, it's like, what's up with you? <laughs> like, we're all freaked out over here, you know? Like, we're all going to die of COVID, and you're over there just calm. And that's powerful. That's powerful, right? 
I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of getting sick. I don't want to get sick, but I'm not afraid. Why? Because if I die, I mean, I know in a way that's the world's done me a favor. I'm going to be with the Lord. And it's like, what have we to be afraid of, church, if we're secure in who we are in Christ? They, the world needs to see us calm and at rest in him. So here's what I want to ask. I want to have our prayer team come because we're going to have some prayer this morning. And um, I know there's several people that we've talked to who are ready to pray for you. And I know Miss Gloria is going to be a prayer, but she probably isn't going to come up here. But I would love for us to kind of scatter around the room. So if you're going to pray for people, would you just be present? We've got, um, yeah. Beth and uh, my mother, Rhonda, and Dennis, and Miss Gloria, and of course we have Pastor Dwight, Pastor Richard. Um, we're we're going to take a moment, and we're just going to come to the Lord this morning. And here's, here's what I want to say to you. If, um, I guess the question is, do you want to have the kind of ultimate peace that we're talking about? I, do you have that ultimate peace? If you don't have it, do you want to have it? Because uh, here's the thing, I, I believe that there are some people who are here today who might need to surrender our lives to Jesus for the, and we've never done that before, we, we've got to surrender our lives to Christ. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to get up and go find somebody and be like, listen, I, I don't have that peace, I don't know the Lord, I, I want to know what it means to know Jesus. And one of our, our ministry, our prayer team people would love to lead you in what it means to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Turn just what, what we've been talking about, repentance. Turn away from self and towards the Lord, right? That's what he's calling you to. But I also think there are some of us who we, we are believers, but we've really been struggling to live consistently out of that commitment that we have to Jesus. And, and maybe this morning you need to take a moment and go find someone and be prayed for. And, and, and you just need to pray for more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, an elevation of the power of the Spirit. You need more of the, the power to overcome sin in your life. And, and, and listen, I 100% believe that the Father wants to give that good gift to his children, more of his Holy Spirit. He loves to give that. Maybe you want more of the spiritual gifts that God has given you working in your life. Maybe you just, maybe, maybe you've never received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And for the first time today, God is saying, hey, I want you to, pr- I want you to have people lay hands on you and pray that you'd receive the fullness of the Spirit. Amen? Like, God wants to work today. I believe that. And any other need for prayer, you need prayer for healing. You need prayer because there's just something going on in your life that you need wisdom for. We want to pray for you this morning. We're going to minister to you with the Holy Spirit this morning. So uh, let's take a few minutes and let's do that. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.